Now, today I want to come around this idea of becoming gardeners. Gardeners that cultivate an environment for life and fruit. Um, So I've titled today's message, Gardening Towards Life. Now, one thing that we all have in common in this room is that we're all changing, aren't we? Change is inevitable. We change whether we are doing anything about it or not. Think about it. Our bodies change, our circumstances change, and our character changes. We are all works in progress. We are all changing, and we all want to change too, in that we want to see our lives change for the better. But the reality is not all change is positive. Not all change brings hope, not all change brings life, and not all change bears fruit. Now, when it comes to deep character change, our lives tend to move in the direction of our most dominant thoughts. And the themes of our soul quickly become the themes of our lives. So if you want change that brings life, if you want change that bears fruit, we have to be conscious of the themes of our soul and the thoughts of our mind. We have to be conscious of who's shaping those thoughts and themes because we're all being shaped by something or someone, even if we're not conscious of it. And once we place our faith in Christ, this process of change doesn't just stop happening, does it? This process of change continues. But the question is, with whom and by whom does it change? And a really good place to start when talking about character change is Galatians 5, verses 22 to 25. These verses are all about the Spirit's role in bringing about lasting, deep, radical change in our lives. Change that brings us into a new way of being human. So let's, let's read the text. So Galatians 5, 22, verse 22 to 25. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, this is one of the most condensed descriptions anywhere in the New Testament of what happens when the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, really gets hold of someone's life and begins to transform them. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this passage reveals to us what our lives should look like. So ready, set, go. Go be this, go do this. Sermon done, I can finish, wrap it up. Um, It's easy, right? It's easy to live this way and it's easy to do this and be this, isn't it? No, it's not easy. Um, I'm glad you said that. I don't feel alone. Um, Deep character, it's not easy for deep, deep character transformation to occur. So why is growth, why is change into the likeness of Christ so difficult? Because it has to be noted here that Paul's addressing believers. He's addressing people that have already placed their faith in Christ. And scripture reveals to us that those that have placed their faith in the life, death, resurrection and exaltation of Christ have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within them. They have resurrection power living on the inside of them a power that can bring about radical change in one's life. 
So why is it that we can't just pray Galatians 5, 22 to 25? Why can't we just pray for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and then just, bam, wake up the next morning bearing all of this fruit in our lives? Because if you have lived a little, you know that deep, lasting character change just doesn't happen overnight. Now, I think one of the big problems in our confusion and discouragement is the fact that when verses like these become really familiar, we tend to think that this way of life ought to be easy. It ought to be simple. We ought to just be able to say a prayer and just wake up the next morning and have no more self-discipline issues, no more anger issues, or whatever your deal is or mine. And when this doesn't happen, we tend to feel like we're failing and that this Christian life just isn't working the way it is supposed to work. But what we neglect to do when a passage of Scripture does become really familiar to us is that we would neglect to do what we should always do, and that's place the passage of Scripture into its context, within the wider context of what the author's saying. And what you realise when you do this is that in the flow of what's happening in this section of the letter, Paul is wrestling with exactly these issues that you and I have. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're definitely not alone. And what we find is that Paul is dealing with the issue of why it is that real deep character change is such a slow, difficult process in our lives. He deals with the problem of what we are to do when there is this constant battle of the new you and the old you constantly going at it in this tug-of-war match. Now, one thing that I really want to drill home today about the nature of Christian growth and change is found in verse 22 of chapter 5 in Galatians. Because this is really going to help frame how we can create an environment in our own lives for for positive, deep, radical change to happen, for us to turn into the type of humans that we're created to be. Um, So in in verse 22 there, what, what is the metaphor that Paul uses Um, What is the word that he uses in that phrase? Fruit, yes. Um, Now, this metaphor is extremely significant for understanding this passage. And any time you see Paul or any other New Testament author um, use a metaphor, it's worth pausing and asking why. Why are they suddenly shifting gear? Because the fact that Paul uses this metaphor of fruit actually gives us, the reader, a huge window into what Paul into how Paul understands this whole process of character change working itself out in our lives. Now, let's frame what Paul is trying to get at here. Are there any gardeners in here that either grow their own fruit or their own produce? A couple of hands going up around the place. Good one. Um, Now, if you've ever grown any type of produce, you know what you're not able to do. You're not able to just go to the plant store, buy some, buy some plants or seeds and then just completely forget about them and expect there to be an abundance of fruit. Now, Katrina and I learnt this lesson the hard way when we were living in Seaford. We decided that we are going to grow some strawberries, blueberries and passion fruit. So we went to the store, bought the plants, went back home and planted them. And we waited for the fruit to grow, expecting a bumper harvest. Um, now, when I say waited, it would probably actually, actually be more accurate for me to say that we just left the plants to their own devices. 
um, we're sort of going with the survival of the fittest mentality. Um, now, how do you reckon we went? Actually, before I, before I answer that question, before you answer that question, I should probably tell you the soil at Seaford, it was literally like you were at the beach. Um, and I should probably also tell you that we didn't prepare the soil before planting the plants. We also didn't look after the plants, water the plants, remove weeds, um, or protect the plants from predators. Um, so how do you reckon our attempt at growing fruit went? It didn't go well, no. Um, but the story doesn't end there, which is good. When we rented, we then rented out our house in Seaford and we moved to Summers, um, where we rented a place that already had some fruit trees and they had some empty garden patches. Um, so we thought we'd give it another crack. We thought we would become gardeners. Because we learned, what we learned from our past experience was that if you actually want to make a plot of ground, produce lots of fruit, you have to learn to garden. You have to become a gardener because you have to cultivate an environment for fruit to grow in. So what we did is we learned how to become gardeners. We learned about different soil types, watering patterns for different plants. We learned the skill of weeding which isn't terribly difficult, but it turns out it was for me. I kept pulling out things we were trying to grow. Um, so, so I had to learn, learn the whole plant identification process. Um, so we had to learn, learn all of these different things. We also had to learn how to protect our plants from predators that wanted to eat all of our fruit because any of these things will destroy your garden um, if you don't attend to them. Now, it was all going really, really well. We are producing fruit, but then the possums and the birds, within probably 24 hours, just, yeah, went nuts on our apple tree. And we pro probably destroyed over half the apples, so we had to put this net over it to try and stop the predators getting to it. And all we wanted to do was grow some nice, fresh, organic food. But there were all of these outside forces that we had to contend with. And to be honest, it was a lot of work. Um, but the important thing was, was that we did grow some produce in the end and we were actually able to eat it, which was really good. But even after all of that work we'd put in, when we were sitting down at the table, could I actually say that I grew that fruit? Did I actually grow the apple or did I actually grow the tomatoes? The answer is no, I didn't grow that apple or I didn't grow the tomato. What did I do, though? What I did was I was a gardener that put in effort to cultivate and provide an environment where fruit could be grown. Because how does fruit actually grow? There's this massive ball of gas up in the sky called the sun, which releases energy and heat. And do I have any control over that? Um, do I have any control over the genetic health of the plants and the apples or the tomatoes? And do I have any control over the process of photosynthesis? The answer is no. I had absolutely no control over any of these things that actually cause the fruit to grow. So there are all of these other factors at work causing the fruit to grow, over which I had absolutely no control. But my role as a gardener is still crucial, isn't it? In that I did not grow the fruit, I had absolutely no control over that. 
but I could have hindered the growth of the fruit in my garden if I did not play my role as a gardener that cultivated an environment in which fruit could grow. So it's absolutely brilliant that Paul would use this metaphor of fruit because he could have just said these are the traits of the Spirit. But he uses the word fruit very deliberately to provide a metaphor about botanical growth, being like how the Spirit works in our own lives to bring about deep, deep character change. He's illustrating us to us the organic nature of Christian change in that this type of growth, growth, this type of character change that Paul is talking about is not a mechanical growth. It's not an internal, it's, it is an internal organic growth in that Paul here is not talking about pure behavior modification. He's talking about heart transformation that then leads to a different way of being human. It's an inside-out transformation. In other words, Paul is telling us that we are unable to change ourselves. We are unable to change the core issues of our own hearts. So if we want deep character change, the type Paul is talking about here, we need something outside of ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to influence our lives and address the deep core issues of our heart if we are to be more like Jesus. And we are not in control of that process, just like I was not in control of the process of photosynthesis. I'm helpless when it comes to addressing the deep core issues of my heart. That needs to come from the power of the Holy Spirit's work in my life and in your life. But at the same time, with the use of this metaphor, Paul teaches us that although we don't, do not grow the fruit, we can hinder the growth process in our life. Because like Paul says in Ephesians, you can extinguish the work of the Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians, sorry, in Ephesians you can grieve the Spirit, and 1 Thessalonians you can extinguish the work of the Spirit in your life. Paul reveals it to us that you can do all types of things that will minimize the work of the Spirit. And this is Paul's main point in this section of the letter. It's his main point of this whole chapter. And he says in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now we see Paul here use another metaphor, the metaphor that life is like a journey, and that every decision that you make along the way are like steps. And so with every decision, with every step that you make in your life, you have a choice. Are you going to keep in step with the Spirit and live by the Spirit, or are you not? We are all walking, and we are all taking steps in a particular direction. The question is, with whom and by whom? That is, are we walking by the Spirit, or are we not? Because Paul is talking about people, because Paul is talking about people walking by the Spirit, we know that Paul is addressing believers here. He's addressing Christians who already have the Spirit in their lives. And so a point that I really do want you to understand as well today um, is that we're not saved by fruit. These people that Paul is addressing have already been saved. And I want to be, yeah, just really clear that fruit does not save us. It is not a works righteousness. We are saved by faith and faith alone because we serve a come-as-you-are God that loves us way too much to let us stay where we are, though. 
So Paul is encouraging these believers to walk by the Spirit because you cannot walk by the Spirit in a lot of ways, can't you? And this is the sad reality of the situation. We have the power to choose by whom and with whom we are going to live as children of God. Paul fully recognizes that we are journeying through this life, that as we are journeying through this life following Jesus, we are following him in an environment that is not neutral. So he encourages his readers, he encourages us to walk by the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now when Paul says that we are not to gratify the desires of the flesh, he's talking about our old distorted humanity, our old self that was a slave to sin prior to us coming to Christ. So let me just illustrate what Paul's talking about here. So we have the flesh which is our old self, and we have the spirit, which is empowering us into a new way of being human. So in this, yeah, good. I haven't been actually looking at the slides, so it's good that they're working. Um, So when we place our, um, before we place our faith in Christ, imagine that those two circles are separate. Um, And what scripture reveals is that when when we allow Christ into our life, the spirit comes into our life and then we have this overlapping so that dark shaded area becomes our new identity it becomes our new self um, empowered by the spirit Um, now I've got to find where I am again All right. So what Paul's saying here is that as believers, you and I live with a foot in both worlds, as it were. In that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are a new creation and the Spirit has taken up residence in your life. But at the same time, you and I live in a world that is deeply compromised by sin and evil. And so what you and I have is a choice. We have this choice of which world am I going to choose to live in now? And this is not just a choice about which world am I going to live in. This is also a choice about what kind of human being am I going to be now that I am a new creation. Now that I've got this power living inside of me that is pulling me in the direction of life. Deep character change that is drawing us into the likeness of Christ is not easy in this time of the now and not yet. And Paul, Paul explores the difficulty of having a foot in both of these worlds in verse 17 of Galatians chapter 5, when he says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul fully recognizes the battle that is going on in our lives, the conflict that we face each and every single day. And according to his theology, according to um, that picture is how he depicts it as those two worlds. These two realms that you and I live in as followers of Jesus in this time of the now and not yet. So what we end up with are these moments of conflict Now, Paul's theology here is actually really, really practical. We've all experienced these moments in our lives, these tense moments when you know you should act one way, but you really want to give that person a piece of your mind as well. Um, We've all been there. And so Paul tells us that depending upon which garden I've been attending to, 
more will determine how a lot of those moments will go. So depending upon whether I have Jesus on my mind at all that day, and depending upon whether or not I've been gardening my life to cultivate an environment for fruit to grow in, will determine we live, whether we live into our new identity and bear fruit or not. Remember, again, we're all walking. We are all journeying through life. The question is, by whom and with whom? So Paul is saying, if you haven't been gardening your life, if you haven't been cultivating an environment for fruit to grow in, so the Spirit can do its thing, then don't be surprised if you don't grow, if you don't change, and if you don't bear fruit. Because the possums and the weeds of this world are monsters, and they are never going to give up this side of Christ's return, and they will eat your lunch every day if you don't become gardeners. They will steal your fruit. Paul knows change is difficult, but the hope here is in recognising the nature of the situation and recognising the nature of the realities both within and without that will rob us of fruit in our lives if we let them. The hope here for Paul is that they don't have to if we become gardeners. If we become gardeners that create an environment in which the Spirit can grow fruit our lives, this doesn't have to happen. And we become gardeners that cultivate an environment for fruit to grow in by keeping in step with the Spirit. So Paul, Paul reveals to us in verse 25 of Galatians chapter 5 when he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And we keep in step with the Spirit, we garden our lives by preaching the gospel to ourselves by preaching the good news to ourselves each and every single day. We wake up and even in those difficult moments of life, you bury scripture in your heart. You pray, you worship your creator and saviour for making a way when there was no way for you to work your way to him. Let's be a church of gardeners. Can I just challenge you to experiment with it for 30 days, a 30-day challenge um, a 30-day challenge of gardening, 30 days of regular, regular prayer, worship and time in the Word. But can I also challenge you to pick out and memorize some verses, verses that speak the good news into your life, especially verses that speak into those areas of your life that you struggle in, whether that be self-control, anger, love, whatever that may be for you and for me. And just watch what happens when you cultivate an environment for fruit to be grown in. Just watch how the Spirit will bring these words to your mind and heart in those moments when you're right in the midst of the choice. The choice to live out of your old self or the choice to live into your new identity. Our new identity is who we are, church. We cannot let our old self define us anymore. This is not who we really are. That part of us died 2,000 years ago with Jesus on the cross. And the me that I am right now does not exist by any of my own power. It exists because of the grace of Jesus towards me and towards you. I don't know what your version of the possums or the weeds are because we all have them in our lives. But can I just encourage you to become gardeners? Stop watering the weeds in your life. Pull them out and get rid of them. Create an environment for fruit to grow in. Yes, it's going to be hard. 
And there are going to be some weeds that you actually probably don't, that you want to hold on to because you think that the direction the Holy Spirit is taking you is away from the good life. But can I encourage you that the Holy Spirit is actually guiding us and taking us into life. A humanity like no other. A life that you and I are craving. A life that you were created to live. There is more in us both individually and corporately as a church than we know because of the reality of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. What if church... What if we were a church of gardeners that cultivated an environment for the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in our lives and the lives of others? What if we embraced the process so that we could embrace the possibilities? Can you imagine what that would look like? It would look like heaven on earth. What if, church? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you. I just thank you. I thank you that it's in your presence that we find out who we really are. I thank you that in your presence there is freedom. I thank you that in your presence there is hope. I thank you that in your presence there is healing. And I thank you that in your presence strength will rise. I thank you that in your presence there is mercy and there is forgiveness. I thank you that no matter how far we fall, that no matter how far we run, you are with us. I thank you that you made a way through your son Jesus. And I thank you that you empower our lives by your spirit. I thank you that in your presence your love restores us and makes us whole. And I thank you that... Your love is everlasting. Lord, help us to garden our lives in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.